Welcome to the CIS Voices Podcast. This podcast features Davidson College seniors speaking about their experiences in the Center for Interdisciplinary Studies, referred to as CIS or the Center. I'm Jane Mangan, the current CIS Director, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm speaking with Olivia Rastany, a senior public health major who is advised by professors Lawrence Stutz and Nyla Mamoon. How are you doing today, Olivia? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for being with us. So I always like to ask students what they thought they would major in when they came to Davidson. Yeah, I have been through so many <laughs> different um, predictions of my major before I get, before really diving into coursework. So when I applied to Davidson and a lot of my first year, I wanted to be a neuroscience major. Um, and so I had, I knew that I wanted to be pre-med. I'm still pre-med um, and I, have always been interested in neurology and so I wanted to do neuroscience and then after taking some more like science classes and um, also taking some more public health related classes I just I kind of figured out that I was more interested in the patterns of disease more than the physiological or cellular level of disease um, at least for the time being and then I and I thought well I, I had the rest of my med school and career to dive into neuroscience specifically. And so um, I chose public health because I wanted more to focus on um, like a, a more broad big picture and pattern-based uh, side of like, still, I'm still focusing on neuroscience-ish of public health, um, but not so much like individual neurons. <laughs> It, that doesn't sound to me like an extraordinary uh, number of ideas to have. Had oh, well, there, there are things in between that, too. Oh, there's, so, oh okay. Well, that's, so that's I, like that's I also took comp sci and when I, <laughs> I actually I, I was always taking individual classes and then thinking I'm going to change my major to this. And so like I took comp sci and then I wanted to be a data science major. And then I just like. Okay. That wasn't possible with wanting to go abroad and stuff like that. So, so we, we got the edited version and then I just asked you a question that kind of opened opened the door there for the longer yeah. answer. Now, now I understand why you characterized it the way you did. Well, then I'm, I'm curious too about, you've talked a little bit, I think gives us a sense of your path to the public health major, but was there a particular class that you took? Was there a professor? Was there some kind of experience that made you think, wow, this is a way that I can um, work in a public health major, but do something, you know, ask some questions, study some things that are still related to some of the neuro, um, the neuroscience issues. Yeah, so I, my first um, semester at Davidson, I took sociobiology with Dr. Mamoon, one of my current advisors, and I had known generally what public health was. It kind of had always interested me, but in a super broad sense, just because it is it is a pretty broad field. So I didn't really understand what exactly the field studied. Um, and so in this health and human values course, I really got to understand some of the uh, biopsychosocial determinants of health rather than um, like the more genetic or just very like cellular level of health that I had always thought of in like relating to the medical field. And so um, that was what really started to interest me in public health. Olivia, can and you give a specific took... example of what that would be? Sorry to interrupt, but if you think yeah. about, you know, in that class, so for, you know, folks who don't work in, in public health, what would an example of that right. be that kind of got your attention? 
Yeah, so I think in that class, we, we talked a lot about chronic diseases, um, like diabetes or diseases like that, where um, it's very dependent on exposure and uh, like personal habits and behaviors where if you on the outside view it could be seen as like for diabetes it could be seen as well you're, you're not eating healthfully and you're not taking care of your body whereas if you're looking at it through looking at biopsychosocial determinants of health mm -hmm. you can understand so these people don't have as much access to healthy um healthy foods or don't have education about what diabetes is or the risk factors for it um or like maybe they live in areas where it's not like safe for you to exercise outside and so they're just not getting the opportunity to even take care of um, their health whereas in like previously what I had more thought of is oh well these people are just like choosing to make mm -hmm. more health decisions yeah um, so it sounds like Dr. Mamoon's class was a an important turning point in understanding yeah definitely yeah and then yeah. also I took um I took racial health disparities with Dr. Barron in my sophomore mm -hmm. year and that class was also super influential in my public health training, I guess, and uh, just has very much like, I've, it's been a class where in all my classes that I've taken since then, I've thought about it. Um, and just understanding how even just race alone, not even the tie between race and socioeconomic status or something like that can influence your health just through racism and racial biases from providers and um, just like more like systems levels. Right. So it's great when you have a foundational class that sort of reverberates in all of the yeah. other classes that you take. It sounds like he did a great job with that class. And clearly the significance of that has just been borne out again in front of our eyes in the past year with the pandemic. Definitely. Um, yeah. So um, I, I have a little bit of a sense of, of your academic interest and your pre-med. Okay, I know it takes a lot of time, but what are some of the other activities that you've enjoyed at Davidson and are they related yeah, so, to public health and science or are they different? Yeah, um, so I have my, since my very beginning, like first week at Davidson, I've been involved in health justice committee, which was at the time that I joined very, um, it, I think it had only been around for maybe like a year, a year and a half or so. And um, since my freshman year, I was like on eboard every semester and until now, now I'm a senior spring. I've, <laughs> I have no commitments. Um, You've but, retired, huh? Yeah, um, but that club was just really, that definitely also pushed me more towards public health, mm -hmm. um, but it more so was just a really fun place and environment to talk about all these health justice issues with other people who are also super passionate about them. Um, and we would do all sorts of things like talking with public health experts, um, like, and like super niche professionals in the field. Uh, like we did lots of reproductive health work, stuff like that. But then we would also do advocacy and fundraising and um, for certain issues that people in the club were interested in. And so that was a very good outlet for like applying what I was learning in the classroom to the actual community and, um, and beyond. But and then also I would say more so academically, honestly, was, um, was working, I, so I, I've been a research assistant in Dr. Lum in biology's um, neuro, 
neurobiology lab. And that was something that I, I saw the job listing for over the summer before my sophomore year. And it was mostly like geared towards a more neurobiology mm-hmm, right. um, student, but I, it just looked super cool to me. And I emailed her asking if I could get involved just because I still had kind of an itch for doing something more neuro related. Um, and so, and that has been really awesome and very much has just impacted how I see research and the research process, even though that bench side research is so different from the kind of research that I do for my public health right. research and probably- So you've been do doing sort of the shadow neuroscience major while doing the public health major, it sounds yeah. like, <laughs> Dr. Long's lab. That's yeah. excellent. That That's amazing to be able to do both of those things while you're an undergrad. Yeah. So, Recently, you gave a presentation to the CIS crowd about your senior thesis research. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that project and how you became interested. Yeah, so um, when I when I first was thinking about what I would do my thesis on way back like, sophomore year when you have to, <laughs> to talk have about to have an idea. Um, I had some pretty lofty goals that Dr. Stutz <laughs> kindly said, no, this is not going to be able to happen in your undergrad um, <laughs> a few years. Um, and then so I eventually, so Dr. Stutz works a lot in positive psychology, which I found super interesting in her health psychology class. And so for those who don't know, positive psychology focuses on um, psychological traits that positively help um, your psychological or health well-being rather than like what's wrong with your psychological health, um, where which is what normally happens in psychology and a lot of medicine. And so um, I thought that whole concept was super interesting. And um, I like the idea that um, you could change health outcomes with something like intangible, I guess, um, and could have potential interventions. So um, with Dr. Stutz, we worked on kind of narrowing down what kind of positive psychology variable to look at and eventually Mm -hmm. um, looked at gratitude, um, which is pretty like a lot more novel than a lot of others, positive psychology terms like um, just optimism or things like that. And um, and I knew that I wanted a p- participant population of some sort of neurodegenerative disease because that's just what I was interested in. And so um, Dr. Stutz already had some contacts with Parkinson's disease foundations. Um, and so, and Parkinson's disease was just really interesting. And I, I like the very unique nature of it. And so um, the the basic framework of my research question, I guess, was how gratitude affects outcomes in Parkinson's disease. And so then my outcomes roughly ended up being um, uh, health-related quality of life, which is a kind of proxy for quality of life and also like health well-being and functional independence, just a lot of things um, wrapped into one variable. And so, yeah, so that kind of led me to my, I guess my, like my, the title of my research is the relationship between gratitude, COVID-19 stress, self-efficacy, and health-related quality of life in individuals with Parkinson's disease. So that's really long, but it's basically just seeing what kind of 
um, non-biological factors can influence health outcomes and coping in individuals with Parkinson's disease. And so um, in terms of the process of research this particular year, had, had you already decided that you would work on Parkinson's prior to COVID? Yeah, so I, I had decided. But, well, I guess if, if you knew that, then what, what did anything change in yeah. terms of how you did the research yeah. when COVID hit um, with, this, so, with the population you, you interviewed? Right. The re so the research luckily was always planning, it was always planned to be online, which was a huge, huge help. Um, but I did end up changing or rather adding um, COVID-19 stress as a pretty major variable, uh, main variable, because over the summer with talking with Dr. Stutzer thinking, well, it would be pretty, <laughs> pretty crazy to just completely ignore this major life altering change that's happening when you're discussing how somebody's coping with their degenerative disease. And so, um, and so we added this variable of COVID-19 stress, which kind of gets at how, how the pandemic affects their lives and how much stress it's adding to their lives um, through just changes like job changes or also just constant worry or anxiety about contracting a virus. So I have a couple follow-up questions with that. I suppose one is, right, what, what did your research show? So does gratitude make a difference in it? And how does it make a difference for Parkinson's patients? And then I guess the other is, given that um, all of what's happened with COVID is relatively recent, is it, can you, do you have any sense of how your outcomes might've been different in a year where COVID wasn't happening? Yeah, yeah. So. Um... So for the end of the first part, uh, unfortunately, it did not have as gratitude did not have as much of an impact on outcomes as I had originally predicted and hoped for, but it did show a strong um, correlation between gratitude and um, health-related quality of life subvariable of emotional problems. So that meant that it suggests that there's a pretty good likelihood that gratitude interventions could help emotional coping of Parkinson's disease, but less so of other factors of health-related quality of life of Parkinson's mm -hmm. disease, like mobility, mobility. or activities yeah. of daily living or things that are more directly tied to symptoms, mm -hmm. um, which make, definitely makes sense. But we, yeah. had, we had been hoping um, because of past research in other chronic diseases and some other neurodegenerative diseases that gratitude would affect those more physical symptoms mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then to answer the second question, um, so it's hard because this is also a case control study, meaning that it happened just one snapshot in time. Right. And so it's very difficult to isolate what is, what's affecting what. Um, but I will say, so the gratitude, the gratitude levels of my, particip my participants did end up being very comparable to um, gratitude levels of um, adults without Parkinson's disease. And, um, and so that definitely suggested that this population during COVID and all has mm -hmm. a, a, like a quote normal level of um, gratitude, which, which is really great. Um, 
And because, I mean, they have a lot of reasons to not be grateful. <laughs> it's a very hard disease. So I'd like to ask, after hearing about some of the particulars of your research process, what you think is the most important takeaway for people to get from what you've done in this project on Parkinson's and gratitude? Yeah, so although I wasn't able to fully confirm my original hypotheses, I, I definitely still think that these um, psychosocial variables that can affect disease and disease coping with disease are definitely still really important. The fact that gratitude um, has any impact on emotional well-being in Parkinson's disease patients and um, also that self-efficacy was also found to be highly correlated with um, health-related quality of life variables. And so there are results that suggest that having some sort of gratitude intervention or self-efficacy interventions, which are super low cost, really easy to implement, right. um, not high training or requiring other people, it can't hurt. So why not just try it? Um, and this could at the very least help with emotional well-being and could also even help with other um, quality of life outcomes in individuals with Parkinson's disease, regardless. Right. And that emotional well-being piece is a significant one for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's interesting about, you mentioned sort of not, not seeing the same kind of indications with regard to mobility, but I wonder about how much of an expectation you can have with that for Parkinson's versus some of the other diseases that had been studied before. So um, yeah, I mean, you picked a really challenging case study um, yeah. for, for the senior project, but it's, it's an unbelievably interesting project. And I think it shows a lot of creativity too about developing the research project in the senior year. So I'm looking forward to seeing and reading the completed <laughs> thesis in the, yeah. uh, not too long actually. <laughs> so the final question that I have is to ask where you see yourself in five or 10 years and if there is a dream research project you'd like to be working on or a dream job. Yeah, so question of the hour for seniors. <laughs> um, but so I, I, in the next couple of years, I, I, I'll be at NIH at the Genome Institute doing clinical research assistance in not anything neuro at all, but um, a rare overgrowth disease, uh, which I'm super excited for. Congratulations, um, Olivia, that's thank wonderful. You. And then I, I hope to eventually then after that go to med school and get my um, MD and PH. And because I would love to like, I guess ultimate dream job would be to work as a clinician and also researcher, either in clinical research or more public health research. Um, and right now um, I would be super interested in neurology specifically like geriatric neurology so I could continue studying neurodegenerative diseases. Um, but of course, uh, so many people enter med school with <laughs> thinking that they're going to go down some field. So I'm sure that a million things are going to interest me and this could all change. But I do think I would would like to stick with clinical um, clinical work as well as research work. Yeah. Ideally, in some sort of academic setting would be awesome. Well, I'm glad you decided to pursue the public health major because now you have this goal of the, the joint uh, degree in your future, which is, is really exciting. I had a Davidson student who um, went to, was a history major in pre-med, but did a 
uh, an honors thesis on a public health topic and decided that that was the route to take and is in a joint program now. So yeah. I think it's, yeah. it can become super compelling when you think about the applicability of um, the public health degree along with it. Oh, definitely. I've already talked about it in so many, <laughs> so many interviews and everything of just how interdisciplinary public health and also medicine is. And so it is, I'm very thankful for CIS for giving me those tools to think about that. Perfect way to end our discussion today, Olivia. <laughs> Thanks to CIS. And thank you very much for joining us today and good luck. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.